as we then come to Christ and grow in Christ, that's what we've been looking at now for a number of months, maturing. See, we're dead in our sin. We believe in Jesus and we're born again. But we're just infants. We're just children. And uh, it's right to start as an infant, but it's not right to stay as an infant, to, to stay immature. We're to grow up physically and we're to grow up spiritually once we've been born again. And so each week we've been looking at what it looks like to be a maturing, not mature because that's when we get to be with the Lord, but we're all maturing. That is in specific ways, growing into the likeness of our leader, Jesus Christ. And so we want to this morning specifically look at what it means to be maturing, growing into Christ's likeness by killing pride and cultivating humility. You'll notice if you're prepared to take notes on our message memo, normally there's a passage, a single passage that we look at, but we're going to look at multiple passages this morning. So I invite you, whether it's on your phone or in your Bible, just to follow me in the scriptures as we look at what it means to kill pride and cultivate humility. I want us to start with the question of why would we do that? What would be our motivation? So join me in 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're just going to look at a single verse to begin with that I think highlights so specifically why you and I would be so motivated to kill pride and cultivate humility. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5 says this, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For, in other words, for this reason. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the motivation in killing pride in my life is very simple. When I am prideful, when there is pride in my life and people experience me as proud, then what is happening? God is, God is opposed to that. I am motivated to kill pride because God opposes the proud. Now, don't let, that, don't let that slip by. Think about that. When I am proud, I am setting myself in opposition to God. And who would do that? To put it in uh, simple terms, if you understand football, if I am playing offense and I'm proud, what's God playing? And terrible for me to be on offense when God is on defense. Does that help? When I live a life of pride, I really am putting myself, pitting myself against God. And that's crazy. Now, if you think, well, what do you mean? I don't really get the football analogy. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. That's pretty clear, isn't it? God is exceedingly clear about pride in our lives. He's opposed to it. So opposed to it, he says, when it's present, I punish it. 
the Lord will tear down the house of the proud. Now, don't think, oh, you know, the brick house or the stucco house. Is he talking about the physical house? What's he talking about? The person, the house. See, when I function in pride, I am bringing the opposition against self and all that I represent. Pride's a serious issue in our life because of where it places us against God. And so I think you would, it would make sense for, for you to understand only a fool makes God his opponent. If you have any sense of who God is, and I'd be a fool to make him my opponent. Except, as soon as we write that down, watch this. Uh, only a fool makes God his opponent. But Proverbs 26, 12 says, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? In other words, he's, he's proud. There is more hope for a fool than for him. So is it true that only a fool would make God his opponent? <laughs> no, it's uh, someone worse than a fool. You say, how could you be worse than a fool? Here's how. A fool may recognize he's a fool, but the pride for a person, the proud man, the pride, proud woman would, won't be able to recognize it. You see that? Why? Because he'll see himself wrongly in his own eyes. So it's not just that a fool, it's someone, I am worse, really, I am worse, I'm more than a fool. when I set myself against God in my pride. And of course, the opposite's true. He's opposed to the proud, but gives, so what our verse says, he gives grace to the humble. So he opposes the proud and he helps the humble. What's so clear to me in this verse, and again, it sounds so simple, but every day to think, Today, I'm going to live in a manner which God will either oppose me or help me. You ever think about that? Today, I get to live in a manner in which either God will oppose me or help me. How I function at work today, it will determine, will God oppose me or help me? And it's simply what? <laughs> if I'm proud, he'll oppose me. And if I'll be humble, he'll help me. And uh, I'll tell you this, every one of us needs grace, right? He gives grace to the humble. So I don't know how motivated you are when you think about exposing and confronting and killing pride in your life. But if these verses don't motivate you to kill pride and, and cultivate humility, I, I don't know what to tell you other than you're going to have some rough defense in your life. <laughs> it's ought to, this ought to put 
this whole issue of recognizing pride? So do you, do you know where there's pride in your life? Maybe you don't. And you need to invite somebody like your spouse. That'd be risky. Hey, do you see pride in my life? Because once they tell you, you know what you're going to do? Well, I know what I do. When Jackie tells me, I see pride in your life. I, yeah, I disagree. <laughs> I just disagree. Because clearly I, I know better. And then she'll say to me, you should listen to me. And I should when she's right. Now, see, you see, everything in me is just like, no, I, I know I should, but I'm no dummy. I would, if there's pride in my life, I, I'd get rid of it. And she's like, hmm. <laughs> Only if you agree with it. So we need, to, we need to be willing to invite other people to expose pride in, I didn't say anything this on Thursday night when she was there. She's not listening, so I can say all this now. <laughs> That's not true. She is listening. We should invite other people in and then be slow to be defensive. To go, man, I don't see it, but maybe you actually can see some things I don't see. And now, and now is what I, here's what I want to do. I want to invite four people from the scriptures into our life to say, here's what I would say to you to kill pride. We're going to look at Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar is going to say to all of us, here's what I would say to you to kill pride. And we're going to look at Daniel, and Daniel's going, here's what I would say to kill pride. The apostle John, here's what I'd say to kill pride. And then finally, Jesus, here's what I would say to do to kill pride. So we're, not, we're about to move from very theoretical to very practical. Because sometimes it's like, well, I don't know. How do I cultivate humility? And when I'm there, do I admit it? I mean, afterwards, we could have a testimony. Everybody who's humble could come up and tell us. <laughs> well, what do you do with that? So uh, it's one of those things that we, we really don't testify of by our mouths uh, to others. But there are very specific expressions that will kill pride and cultivate humility. Join me now from 1 Peter to Daniel in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 4, where we're going to look briefly at a man named Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and what he would say to us to kill pride and cultivate humility. Daniel chapter 4, meet me in verse 29. I'm going to jump into the middle of a story. We'll hear some of the other story in a moment. He says in verse 29, he, Nebuchadnezzar, was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Now, what's he doing on the roof of the palace of Babylon? Well, he's the king, so that's where he dwells. So he's on the roof. You're on your patio. He's on his roof. And the king reflected and said, is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? 
Ever stood in your patio and said that? Look at that. Stood in your driveway, what you just bought, pulled in, and then look at that. I hope not, because while the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you. Meaning what? You're no longer king. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> if that was all he had, he'd be gold. Not only was there no longer king, verse 32, and you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beast of the field. You'll be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over. In other words, this is going to go on for seven periods of time where you're not only going to not be king, you're going to be like a beast. That's quite the fall. Maybe the most dramatic fall we, we see in humanity. From king to beast. Until you recognize that the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Until what? You're going to go from king to beast until you recognize Babylon's great. You're great. Why? Because I made it happen. And after the seven periods of time, Nebuchadnezzar says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, now praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven. A little bit different than the rooftop, right? That's dramatically different words that come out of his mouth on the rooftop. Not Babylon, me, great, my glory. Now I praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven for all his works are true and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. This is a fantastic passage for every single one of us to recognize pride is something we mess, we cannot ignore in our lives. Because God is opposed. And when it's said, it's not theoretical. He's like really opposed. So what would Nebuchadnezzar, after seven periods of time, maybe seven years, what would Nebuchadnezzar say to us about killing pride? Give God praise. He was giving himself God praise. Give God God praise for what? For every gift, for every skill, for every success, for every accomplishment, for anything and everything that is good in your life that people would celebrate you for. Do what? Give praise to God. See, he started off fine. Babylon the Great, true or false? That was true. It was the greatest nation on the planet at that time. 
That wasn't the problem. It was then who got credit for where he lost his way and he made himself the point. And so, friends, there is no humility in denying what God has done in your life. If you are smart, don't deny it. If you have been accomplished great things, don't deny it. If you have blessing in your life and good in your life, if you're healthy, don't say stuff. Well, you know, I've, I've worked out a lot and had a good diet. People who have worked out a lot and have a good diet died, fell on the, over dead on the basketball court. Seriously, real life. Why, do you, why are you healthy? God gave you health. And if you are looking down on others thinking, hmm, what's wrong with them? They should get their life together. They should be more disciplined like me. Beware. Seriously, beware. Because the Lord can give you health and the Lord can take it away. And you can eat all the right stuff and avoid all the wrong stuff and bathe in oils. And either the Lord will give you health or the Lord won't. Everything. Every gift. So a man texted me on Friday. He said, hey, my wife and I were there last night. She woke up this morning. She looked at me and she said, true text. She said, you are just really handsome. And he said, I know. (laughs) She said, you should have listened to the sermon better last night. He said, I did. This is just one of God's greatest gifts. (laughs) So you can can interpret that one however you want. But uh, (laughs) but it, it really, if you have good gifts in your life, don't deny them. That's not humility. Humility is what? Go on. That's 100% God's grace in my life. That's been the work of God. Now, you can, say, you can learn to say the right words and it never come out of your heart. God won't be fooled. See, I, I, I'm telling you, Nebuchadnezzar would say, say the right words, but they came from a new place in his life. Don't just learn to say words. Learn to set your heart as one who goes, I genuinely recognize Anything and everything that's good in my life, I exalt and honor and give glory to the God of heaven. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what Nebuchadnezzar would say. One of the wise men in his life was Daniel. What would Daniel say? Well, oh, before I get there. One other guy who would join Nebuchadnezzar. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering address to them. So he's given a speech. Boring, good speech? Well, here's what they said. The people kept crying out in response to his speech. The voice of a God and not of a man. The voice of a God and not of a man. The voice of a God and not of a man. They think it's an awesome speech. And so they celebrate him. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory. 
You see, is he opposed to the proud? No. And he was eaten by worms and died. He, he did not die and eaten by worms. He was eaten by worms and died. I don't know what those worms look like, but that's terrible. You see, I don't know. I think we get a little casual, you know, we want to we expose lust and kill lust, and everybody's going to focus on lust and my pride. Well, you know, everybody's prideful. It's just something I'm working on. That's not, I don't think, the way the Lord sees it. I think the Lord said, and I'm not minimizing the sin of lust. I'm simply saying we minimize sin of pride way too much. He's opposed to the proud. So Herod, I think, would join Nebuchadnezzar and go, uh, don't, not only give him the praise, do it quickly. Now, Daniel, well, let me tell you the story first. What would Daniel say? Prior to this seven periods of time in Nebuchadnezzar's life, uh, he has a dream, and he can't figure out what the dream means. So this pretty typically brings the wise men, those who understand such things, and he says to him, hey, I've had this dream, and I want you to interpret the dream for me. And the, the men say, tell us the dream. And he goes, no, 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 no. This time, I want you to tell me my dream and then the interpretation of the dream. And they go, party foul. That's not the way it works. We can't tell you a dream. Nobody would know that. Not even, a, not even a God who doesn't dwell in mortal flesh could know what the dream was. You got to tell it. And then we'll tell you what it means. And he goes, no, I'm tired. You guys are always telling me lies and the good stuff. So tell me the dream and tell me the interpretation or I'm going to rip your arms off. That's what he says. Or I'm going to rip your arms off. Well, limbs. So maybe legs too. And I go, we can't. And he goes, okay, I'm, you're all dead. And word goes out that all the wise men in Babylon are going to be killed because they can't tell Nebuchadnezzar his dream. Daniel gets wind and goes directly to Nebuchadnezzar and says, can you give me just some time? And the king grants him some time and he goes to his three buddies and said, pray like mad that God has compassion upon us. And the Lord does. He, in a vision at night, exposes to Daniel what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was. Are you there in Daniel 4? Go back one page or two pages in my Bible, Daniel 2, and see Daniel does what Nebuchadnezzar had to learn the hard way. Join me in verse 22, chapter 2. It's not on the PowerPoint. It says, this is Daniel exalting and honoring the Lord that revealed the dream to him. He says, it is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. See him doing what we just said? He gives praise to God. That's what he does to the Lord. Now he goes in front of Nebuchadnezzar and watch what he says. 
Verse 27. I read from 22 through, I think, 24. Verse 27. As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. So he's acknowledged. You've asked the impossible. But what's he say next? Verse 28. (laughs) However... There is a God in heaven who reveals mystery, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. And now watch, verse 30. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing where? In me more than any other living man. That's pretty powerful. What's he saying? (laughs) Only God can do this. And I can tell you, but it's only because God told me. You want to cultivate humility, kill pride? Daniel would say, learn to acknowledge your dependence upon God in all things. He's going... What? We can't do this. So let's ask God. And the Lord reveals it to him. Do you know how easy it would have been for Daniel to simply say, thank you, God, in private, and then go and tell Nebuchadnezzar and make himself look like, wow, this dude has wisdom like nobody else. And he's gone, I'm not smarter than anybody else. It's it's God. So it's not only giving him praise, it's recognizing for everything in your life, you are dependent upon him. And our problem, my problem, is what? There are some things in life we think we're dependent. And then there's so many things that we think, well, we got this. We don't really need the Lord on this one. And we need to kill pride and cultivate humility, seriously, by acknowledging every day before you engage in your day, would it be that we would say, Lord, we can be busy today, but it's going to be a worthless day unless you are at work in and through us. We are dependent upon you. I'm telling you, whatever you do, hey, you can be busy. You can accomplish stuff. But unless you are dependent upon the Lord, what's the psalmist say? Unless the Lord builds the house, your labor is in vain, busy but barren. When we, when we pause together to pray, let's not be silent. I don't know if I really have anything to pray about. Really? I don't have enough minutes to pray about everything I'm dependent upon the Lord upon. Do you see it that way? See, when we see it that way, pride will wither away and humility will bloom in our lives because we recognize he not only deserves the praise, he deserves the praise because I am totally dependent upon you learn to pray that way? Not silent. Not for just special things. 
but for all things. Lord, I depend upon you. So Nebuchadnezzar would say, what? (laughs) Give God praise for everything good in your life. Daniel, acknowledge you're dependent upon God, that, that you're no smarter, you're no better, but there is a God in heaven who does for you what you cannot do. Join me now, 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. I want us to look real briefly at the verses Tony unpacked for us last week. Great job in encouraging us from this passage last week. What would the Apostle John say to us about killing pride? From this passage, if we walk in the light, 1 John 1, verses 7 and 8, If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So what's John saying? For a long time, I got this wrong. I I always thought, Walking in the light as he is in the light meant if I, walk, if I walk in holiness as he is holy, then we'll have fellowship with one another. Well, what's the problem with that? <laughs> the text says you don't always walk in holiness. Do you? Do you? I don't. But one of the hardest things for us in the church to do is to acknowledge that. And actually the secret to having true fellowship with one another is our willingness to walk in the light. Meaning what? I'm not perfect. I walk in the light of the truth of who I really am and how I really fail. That's what brings the fellowship. That's what brings the cleansing. If we say we have no sin, the truth is that's not light and there is no cleansing because cleansing and fellowship require confession. And what primarily keeps us from confessing? Our pride. We don't want to walk in the light. When we do deeds in darkness, we don't want to bring them into the light because that that would kill our pride. We don't want our pride to be killed. So what would John say? Walk in the light of honest confession. Don't hide your sin. Confess your sin. And in the confession of sin... Pride gets crucified. See, this is not theoretical. Either protect my pride and hide my sin, or I kill my pride by confessing my sin. 
We're going to unpack that more. That's what Tony did all last week. I just wanted you to understand. This is why we, we have done the order that we did. We did confession last week and are doing pride this week because pride is often the greatest barrier to confession. And I know, I know every person listening right now knows that to be true in your own life. It's my pride that wants me to keep silent. In humility, I'll expose what has been hidden in darkness. I'll bring it into the light. And actually then, where there's humility, there can be true fellowship. Because now we're not deceiving one another. And we can have cleansing from the Father. Join me, John 13. John 13. Nebuchadnezzar, praise God for everything that's good in your life. Daniel, admit your dependence upon the Lord. Never stop admitting your dependence upon the Lord. Apart from him, I can do nothing. John, don't walk in darkness. Walk in the light. That doesn't mean be perfect. That means be honest. All right, what would Jesus say? John 13. The night he's betrayed. Jesus, knowing, verse 3, that the Father had been given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments, taking a towel. He girded himself and did what? He washed his disciples' feet. And then he says in verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, so, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, so you so also ought to wash one another's feet. See, this is super practical. Kill pride, cultivate humility by doing what? By doing acts of service that nobody else wants to do. Because all of us are stopped. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Now, don't misunderstand. There will always be more needs than we can serve to me. But I must ask myself, am I seeing a need and not meeting a need because of my, because of my pride? I gave you an example that you also should do as I did it to you. So tonight we're going to have a foot washing. No, we're not. I don't know what happened in you when I said that we were going to do that. Like, eh, I'm busy tonight. Uh, sometimes we can kind of think, what? He said he did it, and we're supposed to follow example. Why don't we do foot washings? Because I grew up in a church where we did foot washings. All We went to the basement, guys in one room, gals in another, and we went around the circle. You got a basin and a towel, and you'd wash my feet, and then I'd wash your feet, and then you'd wash your, and we'd just go around the circle. And we were doing what he did, but we weren't doing what he did. Why did Jesus wash their feet? Because they were dirty. Nobody came to that evening program with dirty feet because you didn't want to be that guy. 
You know, if your feet were ever clean, it was before the foot washing service. <laughs> Otherwise, they're like, oh, man, you didn't know what we were doing tonight? <laughs> so in doing it, we weren't doing it. You see what I'm saying? What's Jesus saying? He's going, oh, I'm not saying to go around and wash clean feet because clean feet don't need washed. I'm saying, I want you to get your hands dirty in meeting real needs. And I, again, do I mean real dirt? Well, maybe. <laughs> but sometimes that may, might mean like real poop in the nursery. You're thinking, did he just say poop in church? <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of poop in that corner of the church right over there. And some people are like, oh, no, 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 that's for other people. I've done my, ba- my diaper changing days. I don't do that. I change my kids, not other kids. That's getting your hands dirty for meeting real needs. But sometimes it's counseling people who are confused or helping people who don't have any way out financially unless we help them. Oh, I, I earned my money. That money's for me. They should earn their own money. See what I'm saying? We want to kill pride and cultivate humility. Let's learn to see needs. And when we go, no. Again, there'll be always more needs than we can meet. But where pride rises up, that's probably where we should step in. So we can kill pride and cultivate humility. I got more verses than minutes, so we're going to roll with these last three right here. Uh, Philippians 2 says that we're to have the attitude of Christ who emptied himself. He didn't require equality with God a thing to be grasped. He became a bondservant being made in the likeness of men. If we're going to get our hands dirty meeting real needs, we're going to have to loosen our grips, our grip on our rights and privileges. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes the pride is, no, the, uh, holding on to my rights. And Jesus lived in humility because he came in humility. Don't miss that. He lived in humility because he came in humility. He did what he did because he had already emptied himself. If we're going to get our own hands dirty and meeting real needs, it's probably going to be a process of loosening our grip on rights and privileges. And then before the cross, it says, he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. What's he saying? In this cup is the sin of all the world of all time, and if I drink it, then I will take upon myself the punishment, the penalty for sin for all the world for all time, and I'm sinless. Father, if there's any other way, what? Let's do it the other way. But not my will. That's what he prays, and then it says he prays it a second time, and then it says he prays it a third time. 
You see, if I'm going to kill pride, cultivate humility, ultimately, I'm going to have to just go, my obedience boundaries, in other words, all of us have obedience boundaries. And then the word of God calls us, and the will of God calls us beyond what's comfortable, what feels safe. And we go, ah, that's for pastors and missionaries. <laughs> and for each of us, it's this place of, Lord, I'm going to kill pride by doing what? Removing the boundaries. Again, practical. It's what I appreciated so much. The little girl who said, I was afraid. And she was standing here. Home run. Some of you have an obedience boundary of, I know I should be baptized, but I'm afraid. So you're looking for that time where you can get baptized, but not have to be afraid. You need to remove your obedience boundary. And that's just one example of how many things that, that you're going, I know I should, but, and you have a boundary. Not my will, but your will be done. So would you join me? And let's do some of these things practically together right now. Bow your head and for everything that is good in your life, what are you going to do? Praise the Lord. So whatever's good in your life right now, Praise him. Tell him thank you. Tell him it's all been the work of his hand. Everything that you can think of, give him praise for. It's been his work. He deserves the glory. Would you acknowledge your dependence upon him for everything that will happen the rest of today? for tomorrow, for the coming week. Declare, Lord, apart from you, I can do nothing. I depend upon you. In confession. Would you bring into the light of his grace that that you've tried to keep in darkness. And ultimately, it's to say, I'm going to serve and meet real needs. It's not my will, but your will be done. Did you tell him that? All right, let's stand and tell him that together.
so glad that you're here. I do pray, church family, that as we go on through this day and through the coming days, that we would learn, as Doug taught us in the scriptures, how to, how to kill pride and recognize it when it wells up. Let's cultivate humility. And it's all because we're, it, it's doable because we're dependent on the Lord. Let's stay dependent on the Lord. If we can, if we can pray with you, even through this process or something else that might be uh, going on in your life, we have men and women between the auditoriums who are there uh, ready, stand ready to pray with you. So I hope you would do that. God bless. Thank you so much for being here. See you next time.